Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 625. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember the motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, will you tease the topic, especially since I don't even have a clue what it is that we're talking about this morning? So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Thomas Merton and a quote from him. I I don't know if we'll spend a lot of time talking about Merton. I'll give an overview of who he is. But I really wanted to talk about one of his quotes because I think it's, it's kind of something you and I dealt with recently, and it also, I think, applies to parents and kids. All right. Okay. Let's, uh, let's figure that out All here. Right. After we talk about the Zen Parenting Moment, you wrote one, and you wanted me to mention to our audience that it's now coming out on Fridays. Yes, just Friday. It used to be Tuesday and Friday, and because of um, some upcoming events that Todd and I have, um, which we'll tell you about soon, and because of my book release and everything, I can only write one a week now. Which is not a problem. It's not a problem. People can focus all their energy on the Friday email. That's right. So it uh, comes out on Friday now. So the one that you just wrote was called Anxiety Monkey. Yeah. And you start it off with a quote, which you usually do. The bargain was this. Admit the anxiety as an essential part of yourself, and in exchange, that anxiety will be converted into energy, unstable but manageable. Stop with the self-flagellating and become yourself. Daniel Smith, whoever that is. Daniel Smith is an author and he wrote a book called Monkey Mind. And it was somewhat of a memoir about his experience with anxiety, even though, and I have not personally read it. I just know the quote, but I read reviews from the book and there was a lot of people who are like, this isn't a memoir. But regardless, I thought the quote shared very nicely um, what I wrote about. So what's interesting, I want to reread that a part of that quote, admit the anxiety, which for me means just own the fact that you're anxious in Awareness. that moment. And in exchange that it will be converted into energy. But then he says, comma, unstable, but manageable, which is interesting because I'm like energy sweet. Like I love energy, mm-hmm. but then he says it's unstable, but manageable. So there's like a lot in that quote. Right. Because I think this, this kind of goes to something you and I have talked about historically, which is when we talk about difficult feelings, sadness, grief, pain, fear, anxiety, depression, you know, sometimes the way that teachers will discuss it is just relax and let it go through. And it sounds like it won't be a problem, Mm -hmm. but it has that name for a reason, meaning it's pain, it's fear, it's anxiety. So when it does Show show up, it doesn't always feel good. So it's not stable, but it is manageable. So it doesn't mean that you're going to love it. So when people are trying to avoid the feeling altogether by saying, I'm going to breathe and just relax and then I'm not going to feel it, that's repression and denial. What we can trust in the process of experiencing anxiety though is that we can be aware of it, be uncomfortable in it, but know we can allow it to move through and maybe even learn something in the process. That's always like... Step yeah, the 10. learning comes later. Yeah, that's that's later. But you know, pain and experiences like you know, an anxiety or panic attacks or just a, kind of that underlying discomfort. There's something in it that if you can notice it, recognize it, and of course it can get off the charts where it becomes clinical and yeah. and you need support in managing it. Totally, hundred percent in with that. But sometimes when it just comes up and you're like, I'm uncomfortable, usually there's something behind it, a message, a false belief, um, something that you are actively trying to avoid. There's something in it. Mm-hmm. And if you can sit with that, um, it, you don't have to be like, okay, I have to learn something, but it, it can make its way through. So uh, for me, step one is awareness, which right. is what you just said. Yes. And then I think step two would be accept the fact that this anxiety is here right now. It and is. then to your point, maybe later on or maybe in that moment, you can actually seek some wisdom from the feeling, but become aware. Like if you do nothing else other than, oh, wow, I'm anxious right now, you're on your way. Right. Like if you can only do that, that's not a bad start. Well, and for those of you who have experienced therapy, uh, you know, CBT, talk therapy or EMDR or, you know, a lot of these things we talk about on the show, like I personally, when I'm feeling anxiety around something and it's kind of keeps coming up and it keeps coming up, that's my in, mm-hmm. in therapy. Mm-hmm. That's how I know 
where I want to focus. So it doesn't mean I'm learning immediately and getting the lesson and telling everybody, this is what it means. Sometimes it's a, it's a longer tail than that. Mm -hmm. Like it's connected to something else where it's not, the clarity isn't quite there, but there is a message in it or else why would we be feeling it? Do you see what I mean? Sure. Um, And you mentioned that there is a link in the Zen parenting moment to Bill Hader, Mm -hmm. who has a four minute YouTube clip um, and we're going to have that YouTube clip in the show notes. Oh, good. Um, so you can quickly just go to it. Um, can you give a brief summary of what Bill talks about? So it's it's a four-minute video, and it's been out for a few years, but I love it because he talks about his own anxiety, which was pretty significant, like especially when he, you know, think about what he does for a living. Yeah. When he was on SNL, he would often have like panic attacks before he went out. And um, he talks about how what therapy helped him with is – in some ways befriending that anxiety and recognize it that recognize that it's always there. Mm-hmm. So he kind of thinks about it as like a monkey that's on his shoulder. And as soon as something big comes up for him, he's like, Oh, there you are. And he kind of like thinks about it as a furry monkey that pulls its ears. His, yeah. Is, you know, he gets it's there's a befriends, sweet befriends it mm-hmm. a bit. And then he said, Okay, now we can go on. So instead of pushing the anxiety away, he integrates it or allows it to be there. Yeah. Let the monkey sit on your yeah. shoulder. Yeah. Um, in celebration of Bill Hader, I'm going to play two impressions. Okay. One is him doing Alan Alda, okay. which I think is great. Yeah. And then the, the other one I'm going to play is him with uh, El Pacino or okay. him as El Pacino. Okay. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, what are you looking at, butthead? Hey, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? <laughs> you know, that, that, that is a great line. That, I mean, that is so great. You know? The stuff you guys are doing with the 50s and everything. You know, I, I had jackets like this. Can you believe that? I'm the, I'm the old guy. First of all, he sounds exactly oh my like God, Alan Alda. I might as well be Alan Alda. And then this is him doing Pacino. If I walk into this kitchen <laughs> and I see a cantaloupe <laughs> on that table, I will lose my mind. <laughs> It's not bad. He's pretty good at that. He's great. Uh, you didn't, uh, I know this wouldn't be an impression, but I love Stefan. Yeah. I know. Uh, but the problem is it's really visual. I, I watched a bunch of Stefan clips this morning and it's half the time it's him laughing through it <laughs> okay. and he can't exactly do it. All right. No problem. By the way, uh, we have a Zen talk, which is what we do for Team Zen subscribers and what it is, is we spend time with our listeners. It's an awesome community of parents who have come together. Team Zen is a great opportunity to connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents. And you'll get exclusive content from us. To learn more, go to our website. All right. So what are we talking about today? So I um, found this quote, this Thomas Merton quote, and I loved it. And I think you will know why I loved it. Okay. okay you ready? Ready. Okay. So it says, to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything is to succumb to violence. Mm. The frenzy of the activist neutralizes his or her work for peace. Mm. So you know, I'll, I'll go through that a little more, but just to kind of understand who Thomas Merton was, um, he died in 1968, so he's no longer with us, but he was, um, first of all, involved in Roman Catholicism. He was a Trappist monk, which is like the most disciplined, Mm. um, monastic order under Catholicism. Um, but then after about many years, I think it says like 27 years of being involved, he, experienced like some profound changes in his self-understanding and this these changes kind of pushed him into the political arena where he kind of became the consciousness of the peace movement for the 1960s he actually referred to race and peace as the two most urgent issues of our time Hmm. he was a strong supporter of the nonviolent civil rights movement which he called this is his quote certainly the greatest example of christian faith in action in the social history of the united states isn't that interesting now for his social activism um he obviously endured a ton of criticism from Catholics, non-Catholics, and people who just politically didn't agree with him, right? Um, but during his last years, like where he was he was already involved in all these things, he became deeply interested in Asian religions, um, particularly Zen Buddhism, mm. and in promoting an East-West dialogue. So 
after several meetings, uh, it, actually Merton had a bunch of meetings with the Dalai Lama, um, and he praised him for having the most profound understanding of Buddhism more than any other Christian he had ever met. Hmm. So, um, and then he died, like I said, around 1968. So he's kind of one of, he's, he is very interesting to me, similarly to how Richard Rohr is interesting to me, similar to how Rob Bell is interesting to me, where they... They started with this Christian foundation, which I did as well, and you did as well, and they they held what was valued mm-hmm. and and the way that they understood, you know, Christian living to be, but then also expanded yeah, in they their took understanding, the good and then expanded that understanding to other places and cross cultural, and you know, saw the and so he just his work is very interesting to me. So. That's kind of, you know, that's why. The biography that's the biography of, of Merton. But I, um, why this is important is because um, I was having a conversation with one of my daughters this weekend, but it could have been any of my daughters or any of my friends or you mm-hmm. around this being carried away by so many things that we think we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You know, he calls them conflict, conflicting concerns, but all these demands all of these things we think we have to commit ourselves to, all of these projects, and the belief that we're supposed to be everything to everybody at all times. It's like we live in this bubble of where we think our job is different than everybody else's job, that we have to show up as perfect, we have to show up as knowing everything, we have to show up as the best friend and the most under- You know, It's like what I appreciate about his language, though, is this belief is succumbing to violence. Yeah, that's that kind of woke me up when yeah. you read it. I'm like, okay, I know where he's going. And then he said violence. And I'm like, wow, that's a pretty strong word mm-hmm. to use yep. if I'm just going to be addicted to being a nice guy or addicted to being productive. Like that's got nothing to do with violence. It's just got to do with me prioritizing incorrectly. So I wonder why you think he used that word. I think it's because of the last sentence of the quote, which is the frenzy of the activist. So he, in this quote, is really highlighting people who are in political activism, Mm -hmm. which again relates to a lot of what we talk about on this show. The frenzy of the activist, if they are in a frenzy, it neutralizes their work for peace. Mm. And so while he's talking about maybe people who are really on the front lines of activism, who are trying to speak up for peace as he was, Um, If they are coming in with anger and frustration and overwhelm and pain, and then they have neutralized what they're they're going for, Mm -hmm. which is a more peaceful way of being. Now, I want to be very careful because... I yeah, we don't want to demonize social activism, obviously. Well, not at all. It's not demonizing it. It's saying that you need to show up. In, and, and he is not the only one. Like, I don't think there's any demonizing. What they're saying is if you are showing up as an activist, you need to practice being what you're asking for. Yeah. So, and, you know, so there's a march and somebody's marching, advocating for one thing, call it peace. But they're demonstrating. They're They're screaming and slurring at the other side because the other side is so incorrect. Then you're just being you know, the same thing as the other side, just through a slightly different lens. Right. And so that is like the activist like perspective. And we can go back to that. Like sure. I am totally willing to, you know, dive into that. But I was thinking more about the beginning parts of to be like to be think that you have to be part of everything all the time and never disappoint and always do everything right is succumbing to violence against yourself too. Like the conversation I had with my daughter this weekend was a lot about self-betrayal and disappointing yourself instead of disappointing others. And it doesn't mean I'm like, hey, go out in the world and disappoint a bunch of people. But we do have to have a practice of making sure that we take care of who we are in order to show up in the ways that we would like to show up. Otherwise, we're going to spread ourselves so thin Mm -hmm. that we are doing exactly what he's saying. We're neutralizing our work. So, yeah, I feel I just wrote down a few words. One is boundaries. Yes, boundaries. Because, and I think this is really relatable to parents of, you know, whenever you're a parent, young kids, older kids, teenage kids, whatever, they're... Um, you know, you're getting pulled in 85 different Mm -hmm. directions 
and it's very easy to lose oneself in an effort to be a good professional, a good mother, a good father, a good son, a good daughter, a good churchgoer, whatever it is, and you forget about yourself. I mean, I feel like it goes back to where we began, which is self-care, which is the foundation of why you slash we created this podcast in the first place. So, um, and then, go ahead. Well, and I was also going to say, like, what does it mean to be good? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you just kept, you were saying, you were reading that. As be a good mom, good be, right. be a good dad. And yeah, what to, does it mean to be a good? To be attentive, to be, yeah. um, to be available. Yeah. Um, the problem is we tend to be available to everybody else and not ourselves. Right. And so what is our definition of good? And because you were saying that, I, I brought up Mary Oliver's uh, poem, Wild Geese. Mm-hmm. And the very first line is, you do not have to be good. Mm-hmm. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes. And, you know, she can, mm-hmm. continues on. Everything in Mary Oliver's poetry is always about nature and sure. how it connects to us. So basically, even that, like, w- she's she's tapping into what we believe good means, sure. which is that you show up for everybody else. You're on your knees. You are giving away every part of yourself instead of realizing that there are times, and this is, I love these in-between places. I love this nuance of um, how to take care of yourself, to take care of others. We were talking this weekend, Todd, with our friends who, they have a friend who is also a social worker Mm -hmm. and I am a social worker. And this friend, their friend and I had gotten into a conversation about what social workers need to do. And her perspective is that we give, and we take care of other people yeah. and that our whole life is about service, to, service others. to others. I don't disagree with that, but my foundational belief and understanding and what I've taught for the last 20 years is to do that, you have got to first have your own foundation yeah. to then be able to do exactly what she's saying. But a lot of people miss that step and, and I think an old school way of thinking, parenting, social work, everything, is you just martyr yourself out till you're burned out. I went to a high school called Loyal Academy. And at the time, it was an all-boys high school. And we had a song. I can't believe I remember the song. But our the motto was, men for others. Okay. Right? Yeah. It's exactly the same yeah. thing that you're saying. Mm-hmm. We are men for others, ramblers, all proud to bear your name. So the whole... Uh, uh, what was his name? Saint uh, Ignatius. <laughs> Ignatius of Loyola. Mm-hmm. It was all about serving others, kind of like your conversation with this. And is that a noble thing? Of course it is. But to your point, if it's at the expense of your own well-being, you're not going to be able to serve that many people in the first place. And that's the point. Is like we don't need to change the men for others language, mm-hmm. and we don't need to change. Let's help other people. That's just good, mm-hmm. solid. Let's put a period at the end of that sentence. These are good things to do. But what does that mean, and how do we do that? Like, how do we be a man for others? I would say you do a lot of the work that you guys are doing in men living, mm-hmm. which having having an understanding of yourself, developing empathy, looking through other people's you know eyes and mm-hmm. their experience of the world, walking through you know walking in other people's shoes, you know acknowledging our history, realizing our traumas. That then see, and a lot of people would look at that and they would say that's, but that's navel gazing. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for that, and that is the way. You understand other people. Yeah. You don't just come into the world and understand other people innately unless you understand yourself. Right. And unfortunately, if you skip that step, many things could happen, but two of the biggest are you won't understand other people because you'll just have one singular perspective of how things should go mm-hmm. because you won't have the nuance of your own self-understanding and self-development. Sure. And number two, you will burn out. Like what I know as, a, as someone who teaches social work students is I want to keep my students, first of all, bring them into the field because a lot of them, like I teach sociology, the family, but I also teach intro to social work. So I'm help, you know, I'm trying to bring people into the field, but I'm also want them to start 
their social work journey with self-care yeah. so they stay in the field. Yeah. Because if they don't do that, they will burn out. Well, and if you think about it, um, I think as our kids get from middle school into high school, I think life gets busier. Mm-hmm. Clubs, sports, art, grades. music, grades, mm-hmm. college, yep. everything. And it's so easy, <clears throat> excuse me, to forget about oneself. And then it probably gets worse at college, right? Maybe well, not. I don't know. know. I feel like you have more freedom and more time in college. But high school is a tough time to practice self-care. In college, I didn't practice self-care because I was having too much fun drinking beer with my friends. Mm-hmm. So it's just, uh, it's this journey. And then as an adult, I'm still not close to an expert on practicing self-care. I, I do spend a lot of time doing things for others at the expense of my own well-being. Right. And I want to like dig into a little bit what you just said is I wasn't practicing self-care because I was too busy having fun drinking beer. Yeah. I'm not denying that you had fun. Like I was there too. So we had fun. But how were your relationships? How were your, how was your understanding of yourself? How was your connection to your family? How, like you were having fun drinking beer, Mm -hmm. but then did that make life better? Um, That night, the next morning, it wasn't that great. Well, it's less about hangover and more about like dive into this with me. Because do you feel like you understood yourself as a human? Do you feel like you were giving back? Do you feel like- No, it was a selfish time. In my 20s, we're equally selfish. Mm -hmm. All I did was work at my job and then go out with my friends. Mm -hmm. I wasn't- you know, I wasn't giving back to offspring because I didn't have any. I wasn't in relationship with anybody. I wasn't going to church. I was like, it was a very, I, I, and it was like a wonderfully selfish time. Like I didn't have all these responsibilities that you get when you become a parent. I know. And maybe I'm digging for something that you didn't experience. And so I will totally let you off the hook if that's the case. But I had, you know, my college experience in my early twenties and I felt a hole. Mm-hmm. I felt not solid and grounded. I didn't know who I was. I didn't love all the choices I was making. Um, there's no like deep, big, significant story, except, well, there's a lot of them actually. But, you know, there was a time when I was 25 that I was really sick physically. Mm-hmm. That had a lot to do with what was going on with my emotional well being. I did not like the job that I was doing. I did. So, like what I just want to be careful of, and you may say, no, Kathy, this is exactly what I mean to say is you're like, the twenties were great. And I drank beer and I had, I was awesome. I didn't have responsibility, but did you know who you like, were you happy? Not, I, when I think of it, I look back on it fondly for sure. Do you think it's romanticized? Possibly. But I also think, um, there was, you know, it's it's hard to encapsulate an experience, your, right. a decade of your life or college, because college, I think of college as this fun thing, and at the same time, also fear and depression and Sunday blues. and Okay, well, and that's kind of what I'm going for is sure. the language you're using, and I'm just being careful with what we talk about here is you're like, I just had, I had no responsibility. It was amazing. Mm. I was drinking beer. I was mm. having fun. I wasn't giving back to my world at all. Right. And you did feel fear and mm. you were unsure and sure. you were not stable and you were, you know, and again, this is not a problem because you were able to save money. So you and I were able to eventually buy a place to live. So mm. I'm not ridiculing this, but you were living at home. It yeah. wasn't like you were like had off no, on your own. Had no money worries whatsoever, Correct. no rent. Right. And so it, it's kind of like a, um, you know, it, and it's so funny because I started this by talking about we have to practice self-care. And here you're saying to me, I was all about myself. Yeah. And I'm challenging that too. Well, I feel like self-care is, that term is a positive term. Right. I don't think I was practicing good self-care. I was up till four in the morning with my buddies and then eating burritos and Italian beef sandwiches the next morning, took a nap until I could do it all over again. There wasn't any self-care happening. I know. I And totally, like, that's kind of what I wanted to bring out of this conversation. Sometimes when you describe, even with the girls, like your 20s or college, you have this really, like, it was amazing mm-hmm. thing. And I'm always like, I get what you're saying because I was there for a lot of it. Like we had fun, yeah. but I was also very lost. Mm-hmm. And so I put the two together that I was using going out or alcohol or smoking or whatever as a way to avoid even looking at my life and the choices I was making. So while it was 
quote unquote fun, mm-hmm. it was also very scary mm-hmm. and not not foundationally like if we would have continued on that way, it'd be dead. Right. And so it's like this big mix. So you're right. It's not self-care, but it is also for people who are like, they believe self-care to be taking care of yourself and doing whatever you want. Mm -hmm. That's not what it is either. It's like, there's this very nuanced place in between where we are noticing who we are and what we put out in the world and, and making sure that we don't betray ourselves. Uh, before you go on, yes, can we ahead. talk about our partner? Uh, sure, week? I'd love to. So we're really excited. Um, we're going to talk about our partner, Let It Be Us. And what they do is they inspire foster care and adoption. So the month of November is actually National Adoption Month across the United States. And National Adoption Month has been celebrated for over two decades in an effort to raise awareness about the thousands of teens currently in foster care who are waiting for their own permanent and loving families. Our sponsors and friends, Let It Be Us, are recruiting families in the state of Illinois who are committed to supporting teens and their success. Their new initiative is to help young people ages 16 to 24 who are currently in foster care in the state of Illinois. Let It Be Us is committed to recruiting new families, helping them secure a foster care license, and then being there to support the family in any way possible. So you might be asking yourself who can join. Anyone who is a good citizen and wants to help a child has a really big heart and is in a desire for serious commitment and a deep connection. If you want to learn more, go to letitbeus.org or go directly to the show notes where you will find a link to the site and a link to a podcast where we talk to Let It Be Us and a family who experienced a foster care success story. So basically, I wanted to jump into the conversation that I had with my daughter about self-betrayal. And, you know, and that language sounds really powerful. I know I'm aware of the power of language. We could call it um, disregarding ourselves, forgetting ourselves, like just use whatever works for you. Um, But, you know, right now, all my children feel this way, but she specifically was feeling like, I, I, you know, have all this expectation in school. I have this job. I have this volunteering. I have friends. I have things that I'm unsure about. I'm, I have to think about the SAT. Like there's so much on her plate Mm -hmm. and I, and while she's able to manage it the majority of the time, there are times that I have felt like, and not just with her, I had to do this with my older daughter and I've done it with my younger daughter. I've had to inject myself into the conversation and say, it's okay to stop for a day, for a moment. I will help you stop. I will hold your hand in whatever stopping means. If it means not working as much, if it means postponing volunteering, if it means, um, you know, sending, not me doing it, but her sending an email to the teacher and saying, this is going to be late. Like whatever that means, your mental health is the number one thing and i will hold your hand through a pause Mm -hmm. and and help you do that well we've talked about this idea and i think a really kind of good litmus test on figuring out not that there's a right way but the idea of a self-care day for school sure what do we call it a wellness day yeah wellness day um, I know there are certain parents, and I'm not saying I'm right, but there are certain parents that are dead against that. Sure. Like school is something that you need to go to every day. And if you're just feeling depleted, you got to grin and bear it and just deal with it as gotta best rally. you can. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to say this without being judgmental. It's It's when our kids say, you know what, I'm spent and I need a break, we'll talk to them. And if... If it seems like a good idea, we'll support them in that. Well, and I would even clarify that, Todd. They rarely say that. We see it. Mm-hmm. We see yeah, them. They, yeah, they won't even. I don't. I don't remember. I mean, maybe occasionally, like when there's like been overwhelmed with tests or something. But they rarely come up to us and are like, "Hey, can I take a day off?" Mm-hmm. We are often the ones who are like, "Too much. Yeah. Too much." I see. I see because of your emotions. I I notice because of your, you know the fact that I'm not seeing you, you're coming and going so fast and you're working so late that we have to interject ourselves. And we, and it's not critical. Like I don't come in and say you're doing it wrong because they're doing things the way society is telling them to do it. I think the thing we miss, like what you said, Todd, about, you know, people who are like, no, no, you have to show up for school every day and you should have perfect attendance or whatever. And I'm being extreme Mm -hmm. here. 
but is that there is some truth to that. We have to help our kids work through difficult times and develop resilience. That is completely true. At the same time, something that our kids need to learn, and it's ideal if they learn it under our roof because we can support them, is there are times when it's too much and you have to recognize the balance between, there is no perfect balance, there's There's none. There's no perfect, go ahead. But you have to realize in yourself when you have hit a wall and that taking a break, you know, there's this great um, Anne Lamott quote, let me pull it up really quick. Were you going to say something? While you're pulling that up, in uh-huh. every situation is different. Every kid is different. You know, if you have a kid who is making a lot of tough choices, going, you know, gaming all night with his friends and, and then saying, you know what, I need a self-care day because I was up till five in the morning playing whatever it was, that, that would be a much different discussion. But if you see your kid really trying to do their best in all these different facets of their life, school, work, whatever, then, so you know what I mean? Like every situation is different. I do, but the, yes. And I would also say though, that a kid who is up gaming all night, so the quote I was gonna read, Anne Lamont says, almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. Mm. So unplug is not just about tech always. It's about literally disconnecting from your constant and chronic routine. Mm -hmm. And so you can sit and actually breathe and have a moment or a night or two hours or a day to like get back into yourself because you are not doing anybody any favors by going 24 seven full speed ahead. That's not what I call resilience. That's mm. what I call self-harm. Yeah. Like that is, there's nothing in that that I'm that I want to promote under my roof. You know what I mean? Like I'm all about working hard, but inside of working hard is having an awareness of when you need to stop. So what you were just saying, Todd, about like someone, a kid who is gaming all the time, they still need the same advice though it's not like kids who are doing good get this and kids yeah, who are doing right. bad don't like that there's none there's no good and bad a kid who is gaming all night also needs a reset and and i don't know how that will look for them i don't know if that's taking some time and going being with the family or there is still a reset that's necessary and there's no good or bad kids or good or bad behavior that's not necessarily what i'm focusing on it's more helping them recognize when they feel distant from themselves. Mm -hmm. And so like there's the kid who is practicing perfectionism Mm -hmm. and we, we as a society look at that as being positive, but that's not the way I want to send my kids out in the world because I know where that ends up. And then you have the kid who maybe is in the basement all the time, not recognizing anything, denying what they're experiencing. And they, they are, they are both different sides of the continuum of kids who need to unplug. Mm-hmm. They both need the same kind of parental intervention. And um, and I don't have, you know, I know people will email me now and they'll say, okay, so how do I do it? Mm-hmm. Every kid is different. And the only advice that Todd and I can give in these kind of situations is developing communication and connection with your children over time, where when you are confronted with what you see as a crisis, they can hear you. Mm -hmm. A lot of the things we talk about on this show are very like, they're not instant results. They are long-term, like how dividends later on, as Todd always says. Why do we pay attention and listen to what they're saying. Why do we ask questions? Why do we back off and give them space? Why do, all these things are to develop a sense of trust with each other. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> one thing that you and I do our best to do is keep the lines of communication open. Mm-hmm. Like I'm trying to think, like what is the foundation of of being able to, you know, be a parent? And if we can figure out, and it's not easy. No. You know, you get a 15-year-old teenage boy. We just had somebody on Team Zen. She's like, my kid won't talk to me at, at all. all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I do this? Yep. It's not easy. But let's do our best to get creative and figure out a way. And even if it's playing a game with them, a game that you can't stand, but you know that your kid does, um, how do you, how do you, you know, your kid knows a lot of things have them teach you how, how TikTok works. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Just keep the lines of communication going. And I, and it's also not easy. So 
John Gottman, you remember John Gottman? Sure. We've talked about his work before. He has this whole thing around building trust in a partnership. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's any different with our children. I think it applies to work. I think it applies to everybody we love. And his thing around, he gives this story. So I'll tell this story and then we can, you know, take from it. So he talks about how he and his wife, who've been married a long time, he's so, he's he's ready to read this book, okay? He's he's actually at the end of this book. It's like a um, um, detective mystery kind of novel. And he cannot wait to get in bed and finish it, right? And he goes into the bathroom and he sees his wife look sad. Mm. And he is kind of standing there thinking, okay, I want to go to bed mm -hmm. and read my book. Yeah. And instead, he turns to his wife and he, he actually, it's kind of a sweet story where he gets a brush and starts brushing her hair mm -hmm. and says, you look, you look sad or what's going on? I can, I can feel something going on and it's very sweet. And, and he, in that moment, he did not want to do that. Yeah, he wanted to go read his book. And he wanted to go to bed and the day is over and we have all these excuses in our head where we're like, I've done enough. But he did, he chose that moment to build trust. Mm -hmm. And that is, um, I'm trying to, I'm, okay, I'm going to use Brene Brown's version of this. Um, she talks about taking marbles and putting them in a jar. Mm -hmm. And that's how you build trust. Mm -hmm. And that, and marbles in a jar are experiences like that. Yeah. Like where you, in that moment, stop and say, I see you, I hear you. That is the kind of trust that we are talking about building with your child is there will be, and again, we have to, there's like so much nuance here. Like, of course there are nights you don't have it. Mm -hmm. I've talked about those nights plenty of times, like yeah. where I'm like, I am so wiped. If I say anything to anyone, I will not yeah. do well. But if you can think about every opportunity of checking in with your kids, sending them a text, having a good laugh with them, seeing an article that they may like and sending it to them, taking them to a movie, watching a show with them, playing a video game with them is a marble in a jar then you are developing and creating a trust with them over time. And if you right now feel that your jar is just, and this is the same as, um, you know, she, she calls it marbles in a jar, but we're talking about emotional bank accounts. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know, if you, an emotional bank account is putting the same kind of deposits in over time, if you feel like you are already so depleted, like you're like, Mike, there are no mar marbles in that jar. There are no deposits in that emotional bank account then you, that's where you begin. Mm -hmm. Like, and I know that for people listening, they're like, yeah, but that doesn't solve my crisis right this second. I get that. And we as podcasters can't do that. Yeah. But what we can support you in is developing and building trust with yourself, with your kids, with your partner over time. And the, the key to the emotional bank account is sometimes you make withdrawals because you are you don't say a great thing or you aren't available or you make a poor choice or a mistake. So there can be withdrawals, but if you've got enough deposits in there, it's not felt like Todd. I'll talk about Todd cause he's across from me. You know, of course I get annoyed at Todd and Todd doesn't know. He doesn't know everything that I need all the time. And sometimes he gets lost in his own mind and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> what if I went on and just named yeah, like a yeah, keep going. <laughs> But Todd's got so many deposits as far as like conversations and showing up and and saying sorry if something didn't go the way he thought it should or just, you know, using laughter to keep me engaged that the withdrawals are not deal breakers. They they suck and we have to talk about it, but there's a lot of deposits and I believe I have the same with you. For sure, no doubt about it. And I and this is the nuance within the nuance. Okay, let's go deep um, nuance. I like the I, guy I behind think, the guy I, behind I, the guy. The guy behind the guy. The emotional bank account I think is a really powerful tool, and I use it and I practice it. And I do like last night my kid was had a hard time sleeping. She got some teeth pulled. And she couldn't fall back asleep. So I went, she asked for help. Good for her asking right. for help. And then I scratched her back for an hour, What, which was really hard because it was three in the morning. <laughs> so that was a deposit I right. made. I love being able to show up in a way when my kid asks for help. And sometimes they're not intuitive enough to ask for the help. So then you have to like maybe interject some help even when they don't know how to ask. The, the 
the part that maybe we can talk about is I worry that sometimes we get into relationship, maybe not with our kids, but with couples, it becomes transactional. Yeah, yeah. So that's the danger of the teaching of the emotional bank account mm-hmm. because, all right, I'm going to do this for you, but it's only because I want to be able to get something back. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of just the interesting danger because I love the emotional bank account. I teach it to most of my guys who are in relationship. Uh, but at the same time, the danger in that is we're just doing things so that we can get something back from it. And that's not what connection and relationship is, at least not for me. It's about loving someone just because of who they are. It's doing something, not hoping not to get anything back, but just because it will support them. So anyways. Can I do a guy behind the guy, behind the guy, behind the guy? Sure. So the other interesting part of that that you just said about I'm going to start with our with our kid is that <clears throat> acts of service is a is your love primary language. love language. Yeah. You, we we all have all five, but it is your primary love language where you like to be that person. Yes, yes. She puts me in my wheelhouse. Yes, when she says, "Dad, will you do this act?" And the last night the act was to wake up, get in bed with her, and scratch her back. Like when we say, Todd or dad, will you go pick up Chipotle? Will you cook Chipotle for us tonight? I cook Chipotle a lot. <laughs> we say, go pick. He's like, I love, I mean, he doesn't say I love doing that, but he likes to do a very like black and white, I did this. I picked this up. I did this. He, I, my love language is, is much more, as we would say, nuanced in that it's about emotions and connections and, you know, physical touch and it it doesn't always have an ending and a beginning you didn't use the big word sweetie what words words of course of course words is really which is probably my fourth or fifth love language which is if we ever get into trouble it's usually because of that yes it's because of the lack of words Mm -hmm. or the forgetting words Mm -hmm. or the forgetting that i require words to feel like you're seeing me or not listening to your words correct any, any of the above goes back and forth so you know, that's something that's interesting about you. And then you're right. It can also happen with kids Mm -hmm. that we, you know, I can't tell you how many moms and dads, uh, you know, all genders of parents who say things like, well, I already took my kid here and did this for my kid and drove my kid there and I'm done. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, I'm not getting back what I believe I should be getting, gratitude, whatever it may be. And you know what? All parents who think that way, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. Being a parent is a very, it's a not balanced relationship of give and take. We are giving the vast majority of the time. It's the nature of the relationship. What did Rachel Simmons say at our conference uh, on stage? She's like, you're never going to have the kids say like, mom, you're so great. Mom, you you really knew. You really knew. Thank (laughs) you so much. Like, And like the whole audience laughed because of course there are times when our kids express gratitude, but it's, that's not what, it's about like we raise these kids we bring them into this world we pay for their mcdonald's we pay for their college we pay for all these things and that's just that's the agreement that's the nature of the relationship it doesn't mean we don't talk about gratitude or teach gratitude or role model gratitude or even allow our children to know when they have hurt Mm -hmm. us like it doesn't mean you just disregard all yeah you you don't lose yourself in that you don't lose yourself you can show up as a human and say, as a human, you saying those words hurts my feelings. But the belief that it should be, that there should be kind of some kind of reciprocity mm-hmm. or that they are going to, because you did this, they'll do this. Like we do that a lot. We'll be like, well, I bought you a uniform for this game. So you need to show up at every game mm-hmm. and you need to not be tired and you need to hit the goals. And, you know, mm-hmm. do you hit goals or do you kick goals? Uh, you don't you make I mean, goals. You can, any of them work. Hit goals is probably the least correct. You just go out and get a goal. And there's a lot of like, I did this for you, so you did this for me. So it can show up in parenting too. But um, So where I want to go is sometimes when I, um, either myself or I'm talking to somebody I'm working with, and be like, I just can't connect to my kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I just Googled ways to connect with your kid. And there happens to be a book called A Thousand Ways to Connect with Your uh-huh. Kids. Oh, that's cool. So when, when that happens and we're like, I just don't know how to do it. Like curiosity, like 
get curious. Like if this is an important relationship, and I would assume if you're in relationship with a child, it's an important one. How do we use our resources to connect with our kids? And like I said, that woman who was on the Zen Talk last week, like I feel for her. I told her, I'm like, being a 15-year-old boy or girl for that matter, it's just not an easy time in your life. Puberty, mm-hmm. hormones, school, peers, mm-hmm. it's all tough. Looming adulthood. Looming adulthood. It's just not an easy thing to do. But where I go is get curious, get playful. Is this like a really serious issue in your life? Can you look at it through a lens of uh, levity? Um, you know, are you willing to do th- the extra thing that it, and maybe it's you get this book called A Hundred, A Thousand Ways to Connect with Your Kids and you pick out the top 10 and you start making these deposits and connecting with them in a way, because what we do usually is we just try to do the same thing over and over and over again, thinking that We're like, um, it doesn't work. eventually that it'll land. It's not landing. And you talked about love languages. What a, a wonderful resource. We have one kid who's, whose love language is not close to physical touch. It's probably third or fourth or fifth. Mm-hmm. But if I'm physical touch and I keep trying to, you know, give him a hug or whatever. Which you do. You're, which I still do. <laughs> um, you're, you're, you're speaking Spanish to somebody who doesn't speak Spanish. Yeah. Well, she, and they're, they're not taking it in as being loving yes. or connective. They're taking it as, because even our daughter that doesn't, that's not her biggest love language and you continue to try it's and called do the that. head lean. I, I try to like, you know, <laughs> give her a hug or give her a kiss and she just puts her forehead down. And she has since she was four years old. Yep. Like this is not, since and this, that's the thing is we don't need to make our kids different way. No. We just accept it. But sometimes she, she, they know the language, dad, space, yeah, space, space please, dad, space, please. So they know exactly what to say and that, and having the right to say that. And sometimes she needs a hug. Mm-hmm. So like, we don't then say to our kids, well, now you need a hug or why do you need a <laughs> hug yesterday? But not today, you know, like, don't play games with them where you need to be right. Like you allow them to be who they are and then show up. And again, this is not a relationship of I'm going to give to you and you give to me. It's very different. And we all went into this maybe believing that we were going to get more back um, than we thought. And sometimes we do. And a lot of times we find ourselves doing the majority of the the hard work, you know? So I mean, did you say don't play games? So bad, Quit playing games with my Sweetie, who's singing this? It's BSB. It's my guys. It's the uh, Backstreet Boys. It's the original song. Even though this song didn't pull me in to the Backstreet Boys, it was As Long As You Love Me. And then came the re- that was their original album and then what about tell me why where did that, that was, come in that was millennium that was the next album so that wasn't the first one so and that's when now everybody's on the bandwagon they're like oh yeah i love this song so this was their first big song no the other one was oh this was the second one got it but it was the first song you played i didn't love Oh, so young. I'm looking at their video right now. This song. They're, they're like old men now. I have two stories about this song. Number one, this was the, remember the jukebox thing on the TV that I used to call? Yes. So I used to have them play this video all the time. Of course you did. There was this thing, when I lived in Chicago, there's this thing called jukebox video. I think it was called that, where you could call in and say, play this video. God, we are so That's dating ourselves. That's the most ancient idea I know, ever. But, and I like, think. Would, you, would it cost money? Yes, it, they would put it on your phone bill. Oh my god! So I think I was the only Did, one nationwide using it because I would call in and be like, "As long as you love me, Backstreet Boys," and it would come on immediately. Um, this didn't is you have the tape or something that you could just play it, or was it more exciting that you're playing it on your TV? Are you calling it a tape? Yeah, like by then we had CDs, babe. Okay. Um, but I did you have the CD? Of course. Then why would you just play the CD? I want to see the video. Oh, it was a video. Gotcha. So they weren't playing the song. They were playing the music video. And then you and I, there is a video of you and I at the first Backstreet Boys concert. No, not the first. You've been to plenty with me, but our first in Vegas. Speaking of deposits, go ahead. And and we're singing this song. Well, I am. You don't know the words. I know all the words. Tell me why 
of those songs. Well, can I... Pulls me in every time. Can I kind of bring all of this full circle? Because I think I can do it. All right, yeah, because we got to go. I'm going to do my best to do it. Okay, sure. so... What I think that we're saying is we it feels like we said two completely different things. Um, paradoxical? Like we, paradoxical, because we started by saying do not self-betray and help your children not um, – help your children pay attention to what their needs are and not get burnt out and to make sure that you make yourself a priority. Don't always disappoint yourself. You know, there are times in our life we have to disappoint other people. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then we ended by saying, you're not connecting with your kids? Keep going. Mm-hmm. Be curious. Do mm-hmm. more. Do more. I know they sound paradoxical, but you can build in rest. You don't have to do this every single moment, every single day. We're such a all-or-nothing culture yeah. where you hear advice from someone and you're like, well, that means I have to do that 24-7. You don't. Do one deposit a day. Do a different thing. Do do like already this morning, I've sent um, two texts to JC, who's at college. I've sent a family text to everybody. And, and when I say this, half the time people don't care. Like, like I'll say to Cameron, did you see what I sent yesterday? She's like, no, I haven't checked that. Like yeah. they're it's not always going to make the hugest difference. It depends on who your kids are, but I am every day thinking, how do I connect? connect? How do I let people know I love them without having to like, you know, constantly have a conversation about it? Cause I can be a tiring person to live with. I like to talk about everything. Bite your tongue. And everybody mm-hmm. needs a break. And so there is a this place in between that we practice. There is no perfect balance, but I guess I would like to end by saying, can you hold Thomas Merton's quote about not about taking care of yourself so you can show up as the best activist preaching what you want in the world? If you want to, if you want peace, you need to demonstrate what it means to be a peaceful person. If you want um, connection with your children, they have to see how you're practicing connection or else you're not showing up in the way you want them to mm-hmm. or that you're asking them to. I mean, it always goes back to these things. Yep. Um, good recap, my darling. All right. Um, in closing, I want to talk about uh, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald head of beauty, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800, www.avidco.net. I also do coaching for guys one-on-one, so if anybody's interested, uh, first session is free. And Men Living, it's an opportunity to connect deeply and authentically with other men. We have a workshop coming up a week from tomorrow uh, on trust, so I hope you guys can join us for that. Wonderful. Uh, Anything else you got? I think that's it for today. Um, All right. Well, I want to say thank you to our audience, and we will catch you all next Tuesday. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book, or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week.